City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. For the Hornets, the regular season is over, but this is the NBA Draft Show. Chase is joining me, and we are just getting started. First episode of the year. Let's go. Chase, it's draft show time. How you doing? I'm doing great. That I'll tell you, that that little draft ding-a-ling-a-ling at the beginning oh. made me feel a lot better. I, I'll yeah. tell you that much. I think I might say that's like my ringtone. Not that I ever have my phone on <laughs> yeah. silent, but um, but like that, just that, that noise, good, it sends like, chills. Text. It really yeah. does. That would be a good like text message ringtone, like nice and short. That you might you might have given me and many others an idea right here. I like that absolutely. And to tell you what, if you Google NBA draft jingle, it's the very first thing that comes up in Google. You can download it for free. So I'm just giving that oh, to the people that. right there. Yeah, look at that. It's, I want to. <laughs> Now, now that makes me curious where the NBA got that from. So I bet that was just must have just been some stock like instrument sound that they paid like 50 cents for. And, and then here we are. <laughs> now it defines a generation, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a great tune and it's NBA draft time. And for, for listeners who maybe weren't following the podcast last draft season, uh, the draft show is normally hosted by myself and Chase. Um, and we have various guests to come on, all experts in the draft community. So last year we had Jeremy Wu, who, by the way, just got hired by ESPN, along with Jonathan Gavoni to replace Mike Schmitz to do their ESPN draft work. So he had had him on when he was writing Sports Illustrated. We had Matthew Penny, who was doing the Game Theory podcast on The Athletic, and he's also been hired now to a scouting agency. But we have some really exciting guests coming up. We're hoping to have Adam Spinella from The Box and One, also Matt Penny's replacement. So we're getting the sub in for the sub. Um, and we've also got uh, Matt Babcock coming on, who is running stuff over at Draft Digest soon. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening on the podcast. On top of that is where me and Chase talk about the draft. And, and the draft is something that both me and you, Chase, are really passionate about. I know, you know, you've been watching a lot of college basketball this year and also a lot of non-college basketball, which we're going to touch on during this episode because of the, the draft this, this year. But I will say we are two guys who put in the work and you're going to hear a lot of people spouting opinions about prospects. I can guarantee none of them will have watched. Oh, well, not none of them. I can count on one hand the number of people who cover the Hornets uh, on a media basis through podcast, through writing, who will have watched as much draft content 
as me and you. So if you're looking for draft content specifically about the Charlotte Hornets, this is the place to be. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think this is going to be a good probably month, month and a half run here before we really get into the thick of draft season and the draft is starting to approach us here. We got a tons of prospects to go through before we can really nail it down and figure out through, you know, the, all the media rumors, the NBA draft rumor mill, who the Hornets might be looking at, but we're a month out from the lottery right now. So the, the world is our oyster with, with the draft show here for the next month. Absolutely. And obviously key dates here, May 16th is the day of the NBA draft lottery. That is when Charlotte will know exactly where they are picking the draft itself is normally June 23rd. I think it is this year, unless it's changed a day or so. I believe it's June, um, so June got... 26th this year. Oh, it's June 26th. It has gone a little bit later. I believe so. Uh, well, that's a worry because uh, me and my wife, as some people know, are expecting, and we are due on July 8th. And Chase, the baby is not coming on draft night. This is this is my one night a year that I have, and I know that <laughs> I have a very strict tradition of what happens on NBA draft night. And there's a lot of stuff going on and I don't want to be missing it this year. So I've already told Jess that she's under strict instructions. You know, you got to hold on through the 26th. <laughs> All right. Well, actually, this will make it even better because it's June 22nd, 2023 is when oh. the 2023 draft is being held. So that's an extra four day buffer you got there. So you should be now. in the clear. Yeah, Absolutely. no, you should, you should be more than fine. Um, but this draft is going to be, I can't undersell how important this draft is every draft is important especially when you're drafting towards the top this draft in particular is for me going to be the key thing which essentially dictates the ceiling of the charlotte hornets over the next five years maybe over the next decade i don't think they're going to be picking this high up anytime soon not with the the current front officer's plan and approach and this is their chance to pair lamella ball with a star and I, they're not going to probably get that level of talent through free agency. They're not going to get that level of talent unless they're giving up a whole lot of assets through trades. And this is it, Chase. So we're going to be covering everything from the top of the draft. We're going to be looking at second round picks, the late first round pick. We're going to cover every angle of this. But to start our draft coverage, we wanted to look at six questions. Um, and we've got three questions each for each other. And we want to just kind of cover the, the draft and the Charlotte Hornets draft and like big, big picture, broad stroke at the minute. We don't want to get too deep into like scout reports and strengths and weaknesses. That's all going to come. But for those of you who are listening at the start, we want to give you a little bit of an introductory into what this draft is going to be about, um, but specifically through the lens of the Charlotte Hornets. So we have three questions each. I'm going to pose my question first to you. Um, and I've got some thoughts myself, and this is kind of a very recent relevant question, which is Miles Bridges, it was announced his being given a 30 game suspension with 20 games already being served as of last season and 10 games to be served in the upcoming season, which I mean, my initial reaction was it's just a very strange way to split that. Why, why are you splitting it across two seasons? I, I don't understand any of it. I don't think anyone does. And my gut is that the NBA takes some ownership here around it's taken longer than they wanted. So they didn't want to put it all on to next year, but they also didn't want to give off the public perception of Miles Bridges not getting suspended at all. So who knows what's gone into it, but we finally have an outcome. And most importantly for, the, for us and for this draft show, how does Miles Bridges news 
affect the draft? Or does it? That's my question to you, Chase. So honestly, my answer would be very little. I assume that the team had some sort of idea or inclination that he might be a part of the roster again in the future, uh, whether that be like right now or sometime in the summer or next season or whatever. I, you have to believe that those in the building were operating with some inclination that that might happen. And the other thing with, you know, certain players on the roster, like uh, for every team will affect who is drafted in like upcoming years. I'm not sure that, that Miles Bridges would have been one of those guys. Like he was very good in 21-22. But if the, it, say that for what somehow the Hornets, even though that season ended very well for them, they were above 500. They ended up with the fourth pick uh, after that draft. And all of these prospects were available just one year earlier. I'm not sure that they'd be going into that thinking like, oh, we can't draft someone that you know, might overlap a little bit with Miles because they would be, you're in such a good position at the top of a stacked, like what many people regard as like generationally talented draft. Like unless somebody is a perennial all-star potential or has already been an all-star or something like that, like been, you know, an acclaimed player in the league already, which Miles was not, even though he was very good. I don't really think that you're going to change your draft philosophy much or like work to fit prospects around that player. The player on the Hornets you do that for is LaMelo, who was an all-star in his second season, was already drafted third a couple years ago uh, is the franchise cornerstone. Uh, the, I think the only thing it would really change is like the minutes distribution. Cause obviously that's one more like high level rotation player that you're adding. So the new draftee would have like one extra player to like, not necessarily compete with minutes for, but just another 30 to 35 minutes that are thrown into the rotation um, for like another established veteran that would be ahead of them. But other than that, I, I really don't think it's going to affect too much here. The Hornets are just in way too good of a position to be like nitpicky with who they draft, I think. Yeah, I, I do think it will affect the narrative going into the draft because before the Miles Bridges news and, you know, it, like you said, it seems almost a certainty he'll be back on the team. I mean, he literally posted a workout video on Instagram the other day on full shell Hornets training kit, which, I mean, if you're, if you're done with the team and want to play elsewhere, you're probably just not doing that. Um, but yeah, I think before, before Bridges news, it was really easy to draw the line, right? That especially at the top of the draft, you've got a, a guard and Scoot Henderson. You've got Brandon Miller, who is a, a forward play the three or the four, probably in the NBA. And you could point to that and go, well, the Charlotte Hornets need a forward to replace Gordon Haywood. Uh, or they need one to bring in, you know, instead of PJ Washington, if you were to leave in free agency. Now that issue has gone. Like now it's not like a clear area of need because the Hornets theoretically have, again, it always seems weird to say that they've got talent and depth, even though this team just finished with what, like 25 wins and, and was hugely disappointing. But they, they do on paper, especially with Miles Bridges back, um, so I do think it will affect the narrative and the idea of, well, they need this. They, they, you know, they, they can't go for scoop because they need wings and forwards. I think that is impacted, but I agree. I think in the draft room, I don't think that probably would have been much of a factor in the first place, but I do think you'll hear about it through the draft community, through analysis. You'll see it in mock drafts. Now I think it'll be, will be brought into account. That's definitely a fair point. I, I didn't really think about it from that perspective when, I was, you know, writing my notes for this, but you're definitely correct that 
the way that it will be discussed by those like outside of the building is absolutely going to change now, especially, you know, if they jump up to three and are, you know, basically the, their pick of the litter that isn't Scoot Henderson and Victor Weminyama yeah. that's going to have a big impact on how people well, cover you, that. You, you, you think Scoot's definitely going to? You, you're, you're locking I, that in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like says that, bit, right? That's gotten a little bit nuts to me, I think. Yeah, well, that's like um, that's so, a little. It's gotten a little bit nuts. That's like when people were like, "Should Cade Cunningham go number one?" It's like we, we've thought about it for too long. I think if we're swinging the other ways. Well, look, all I'll say is I'm on the other side of the fence for my personal rankings because I have seen that. Then we've got we've got a, probably multiple episodes worth of uh we, worth we of have. discussion ahead of us. Then I'm and, sure. And I will say I'm not the only one here. I'm not like a no, sole no, person no, definitely not. in the draft. You know, sphere shouting Brandon Miller too. I don't think it's like clear and obvious, by the way. Um, and I think both the generation and it might change before draft night. I reserve the right to change. This is, you know, I can submit my homework at the deadline. I don't have to do it early, right? <laughs> yeah, um, right. But yeah, so that that's interesting in itself. A- another way I do wonder if Miles affects it is the roster spots, and this is the big one, right? So I, I you know, look at the roster spots for next year. With the Nick Richards resigning, you know, let's assume for a minute that they bring back Miles and PJ. That would mean that there would be two roster spots left for Dennis Smith Jr., Kelly Oubre, or a rookie. Okay. That that basically means that if you're resigning Dennis Smith and Kelly Oubre, that they would not have a spot outside of the fourth, the their top first round pick. I apologize. You know, their late first round pick, any of their second round picks, there would be no full-time. 15 contract, uh, 15 fully guaranteed contracts available on the Hornets if they were to resign those guys. So I do think it maybe affects just how many guys they could potentially look to draft this year. That That's the only other, but probably that's further down the draft having an effect on like the later first round picks and the second round picks. Again, not at the top of the draft, which is, let's be honest, that's the most important thing here that the Hornets just have to nail and get right. Okay. Chase, fire away with your first question. All right. So the first question that I asked to you, what is the deepest maybe range, draft range, or like tier of players in this draft outside of the top two? Because obviously Victor Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, or Brandon Miller, depending on what your opinion is, is kind of generally regarded as the top two slash three that's pretty much all but locked in, especially Victor Weminyama at number one. But those three are pretty much all but locked in and regarded as the some of the top players in this draft but outside of that what do you think like the strength or like the strongest area is of this draft class so i actually really struggle with this question this was the one that i probably spent most time thinking about of the three questions you shared with me um i have to say i i know you talked about it being a generational draft i don't think it is i think this draft is pretty average outside of the top three um I do think the depth of the lottery is probably better. I think there's more sure bets. Like, you know, you look at ESPN right now, they've got Casey Wallace 14th. They've got uh, Hawkins from UConn 11th. And I just think those are like surefire, going to be NBA guys, you know, pr- probably be at least very good rotation players, if not bench players. And and they're like going like late, late lottery. Um and you know, Conte George 13th, he's someone I've got a little bit higher on my board. I think he's a really boomer bust prospect, honestly, but I still like the upside of maybe getting a Conte George again 13th in the spins like mock draft. Um, I, I think there's like some Tyrese Maxi 
vibes with him, like the kind of upside, slightly disappointing college season, but combo guard who is just some some skills that you just don't get out of prospects every year in the draft. So I, I kind of settled, I guess, on the, the depth of the lottery, even like mid lottery, you got Osar, Eamon Thompson, Jarrett Walker, uh, Cam Whitmore. You could probably get all those guys somewhere between five and 10. And I think like all of those guys have real potential to be like, probably not primary options, but like really good number two options. So you're, I don't know, you're Jamal Murray to your Nikola Jokic, your Jalen Brown to your Jason Tatum's, uh, your Drew Holidays to your Giannis Antetokounmpo's. You know, you get the idea. That's where I landed. And I have to say, like, I, I really, I really don't like the depth in this draft. Like, I, and I know the Hornets have got a shed load of second round picks and we're going to talk about them at some point. I have to say, I don't like the second round in this draft at all, especially with some of the guys who've pulled out in the draft. Uh, with Donovan Klingin, with Filipowski. Um, you know, this draft is getting a little bit thinner by the day, and I didn't think it was deep to begin with. Yeah, that actually is something that I had noticed myself as well, just like pulling players off of my board and moving them to the, the 2024 section of the Google Sheet that I've got going here. But it, it definitely has taken quite a hit over the last, like, two weeks. And it, may, it in turn has made the 2024 class, which was regarded as pretty weak into a much stronger class with a bunch of like really good looking returners that could have got like Donovan Klingon. You said I was huge on or very high on him probably would have drafted him in the first round. Oh, maybe even like top 20. Yeah. Like now he might, he, he might go like top 10 next year, which is a a huge boon for him, obviously to just spend another year in college and then boost your draft position, the, the rookie level salary uh, team you go to and whatnot by a ton so definitely worth it but it has affected this class a little bit i would say the deepest range as well is the lottery but i think that there's i probably i think i'm much higher on this class as a whole probably maybe you are probably you are are, but maybe even than like general people just most people in general like i would probably say there's anywhere between like 17 and 20 like general in a general year like lottery talents in this draft like i have jordan hawkins at 20 and ESPN has him at 11. Like that shows the, like there's obviously a lot of different players that both would vary between my board and ESPN's board in between there as well. And, you know, to me that like, regardless of like one's own opinion, that just indicates that in, you know, the general draft sphere, there are a lot of players that are viewed as like potential top 10, 12, or just general like lottery picks on any other given year where, you know, the top three isn't, littered with players that could go number one in in any other year and probably would have like last year or two years ago next year and whatnot so i definitely so let, am, am pretty high on the lottery as well so let's compare it to last year's draft okay so i'm going to give you the last the last three guys in the lottery and this is let's let's pretend we don't know what we do now uh but like 14 ochai baji where would he do you think slot in your board for for like this year roughly oh pr- probably like very low first round like i have julian strother 30th so probably somewhere but probably somewhere between like 25 and 30 i mean i wasn't hot big on him last year i had him at 22 last year so hey, presuming he would all you know the, the extra year of age that he's gained since then wouldn't you know wouldn't have happened either i probably would have oshai between 25 and 30 maybe like 32 at the absolute lowest but yeah i mean i i just i really am like a big proponent of the most players between one and 
probably about 20 like in in this class i think a lot of them are like you said i think there are a lot of like good supporting cast talent in the lottery here not necessarily like guys with super high potential but high floors or at least like if they hit their peak could be like a really beneficial player yeah okay let's let's move it on uh on to my next question um and what am i gonna have let's go with this what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses of this draft as a whole and this is this is more in terms like the the like the positions the types of players who are going to be available so we're not talking like the the depth of the class but more about like the yeah are there a lot of bigs that you like are there a lot of whatever's so yeah what do you think are the what is the biggest strength of this draft let's hit on that first all right so start with the strengths i would say shooting and like shot creation or like shot making and then also positional size i think are my two biggest strengths like looking on my big board or any if you were to go to any big board online and look at it there are going to be a ton of wings in the first round there are going to be a lot of players that are you know and if they're not a wing there are going to be a lot of combo guards as well that are you know shooter scorer types just on ball players that project as you know from varying levels of efficiency of being like a pull-up scorer or you know somebody that can operate a pick and roll or like a driver or there's so many different types of those like shot creators in this first round right now and i would say that that is easily like the most noticeable strength like if you go from basically outside of the top three or four yeah there's just a massive run of players that are from like can i read the list because i've I've got a list of the i've I've got the exact same strength as you here which is shooting wings and i've got between eight and 25 you've got grady dick jordan hawkins jet howard bryce sensabar derek whitehead julian strother chris murray maxwell lewis colby jones and ryan repair repair is probably the only one who isn't a shooter right now but the rest of those guys like you talk about them and one of the first things you say is yeah good three-point shooter like and that is just between picks eight and 25 that's not even looking like late first round into the second round this draft is stacked with shooting wings and it's actually hard to try and pick those guys apart like a lot of the time it's that's something i've been trying to work on myself like which which one of those guys are going to be great shooters which are going to be disappointing, which were going to be like just average because that is massive on their draft stock. But I, sorry to jump in, but I just, I, you were no, talking about the agree. list of players and I had the list right in front of me because I had the same thing as you. Yeah, no, I, I, I look at mine now. The only three players I have in the top 20 that are shorter than 6'5 are Scoot Henderson and then Kaysan Wallace and Keontae George. Mm. Like that's, other than that, it's just all like big guards, wings, forwards, like so much not only the shot creation and shooting, but like the guards, uh, even like Keontae George is six, four, and he presumably, if he hits his ceiling is going to be more like a point guard than like a combo guard. So, and that, that's like a big six, four is a pretty big point guard. That's a, there's a lot of positional size in there. There's nobody that's, you know, necessarily getting knocks or like drop down boards because they're not like tall enough or long enough or whatever. That's a pretty rare occurrence in this 
you know, upper tier of this draft here. Like, obviously, that's happening to guys in the well, second round because let's just wait year, till but... the draft combine because we know someone's gonna, yeah, I guess, I guess half an inch shorter yeah. and everyone's gonna freak out because, yeah, right, you know, Casey Wallace is six three and a half, not six four, and everyone's gonna, say, oh no, I don't know what's gonna, like, yeah, you're gonna get into right. that, we're gonna get into that time, you know, it's, yeah. it's part of it, and we'll, we'll be covering the Chicago draft combine and some of the reactions off uh, you know in this in this exact podcast show when when that happens so um okay uh, i mean yeah snap shooting wings uh weaknesses i think we might match up again here i don't know what you picked but i it's there's one very apparent weakness in this draft so far away yeah it's point guard play for me there are Ooh, not a okay. lot of good point guards in this draft i was thinking of like just guys that are like pure not necessarily pure but like most of the time they hit their ceiling like even if they don't like most of their median outcomes end up with them being like a team's either starting or backup point guard outside of scoot henderson and amen thompson which you know this doesn't count like anthony black who's basically like a point wing slash forward or any like combo guards who is the next best point guard in this class like marcus well, sasser if, if is... you're well if you're telling me i can't count anthony black I would say for me, it's pretty clear who the next guy is. And it's Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan, who's like a, he he played some point guard and shooting guard. Yeah, I was going to, I feel, I think he's more of like, he fits that. There's so many combo guards. He, I think he fits that mold like a little bit more than someone like, you. like, like right. Marcus he, he Sasser. Is a, he is a combo. I do understand yeah. what you mean. No, I, I, I agree. Even Marcus that, Sasser like, is a combo, I'd say. Like, yeah, he does, I, he's not always played on ball at Houston. He's yeah, played more Jamal, on ball this Jamal year, Sanders but he's too. played some. Yeah, so like I, you could even, I, I just don't really think you get that classic point guard anymore. Like the NBA's changed so much. That position now is about pull up scoring and creation for yourselves and others. It's not just like, like a Tyler Kolek type role where you just run yeah. the offense and set up your big guy and stuff like that. And and Kolek, who was playing for Marquette this year and was maybe biggest player of the year, I think maybe, or or you know led led that. A uh, very good Marquette team. So it, it's interesting you had point guards. I didn't have that. I had completely the other end of the spectrum, bigs, centers. Um, so we talked about this draft already losing Donovan Klingon. Um, but you have Victor Wembanyama at the top, which you always like. I, he always is just a separate thing. Like, yes, he's generational talent. Uh, but like, if you look outside of that, the next big I've got in my like first round is Derek Lively. And I think right now I've got Derek Lively. Where have I got him? I've got him down at 23. And he's my only other center right now in the first round. After that, you're hitting like Trace Jacks Davis, which like maybe he's a center, maybe he's a power forward. My next guy after that at the minute is Ryan Kolkbrenner, who hasn't even declared yet from Creighton. You only get to say one more name before I'm going to be really mad at you for leaving somebody off this list. Oh, I, I'm worried I've missed someone now. Uh, gonna, because I don't think you're going to be. I don't think your, your guy last, you're going to get angry your last about. Strike. I don't think the guy you're going to be angry about is Dayron Holmes. Uh, so oh, thank least... you. Oh no, okay. it is. It is. Okay. I was going to say I would have like I would have been like James. I'm going to I'm going to fly to Manchester <laughs> and we'll watch like four Dayton games together. I have him at 25. I am okay. a massive Dayron Holmes fan, and that he was like a big part of the. Re I actually my last sentence was maybe rim protection, but I like Dayron. So that, that was literally like what was like why I didn't, I went Dayron Holmes saved it for you basically is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, no, because I, because I too have Derek Lively in the, 
the late twenties. Uh, Noah Clowney, I think is another guy that I think could be pretty interesting as like a big, but he's not, I mean, he, even then he's not like a he might rim be protecting center, right? Yeah. Like he could play like a little bit of the more of like a front court player than just a big, but yeah, Dayron, Derek Lively, obviously Jairus Walker up at the top, but it's really those three are the only like real, like rim protecting, like defensive big types in the first round. So yeah, I, I, that is definitely, I think you might, you might've swayed me. That might be a little bit more of a weakness than just general point guard. Cause so many players can switch to being a point guard in a pinch yeah. way easier than you can just become a rim protector in a pinch like if you need if a team needs you to be so and i think for the hornets the good news is point guard bigs two positions that are not like massive areas of need for charlotte so it's not like you look at this draft and go man you know there just isn't the type of prospect you need like the the hornets just finished dead last on three-point shooting dead last in offense in the league um you look at the three-point shooting for the team there was like two players you shot above league average there is shooting wings galore you know, that 27th pick for Denver, one of those guys we linked before, linked, uh, listed before, a Julian Strother, a Maxwell Lewis, a Chris Murray, Colby Jones, one of them will be available at 27. If they want to, you know, set the heights sights a little bit higher on a Jet Howard, yeah, you, you probably have to move to trade up, but there'll be there'll be guys there. Um, so I think it's, it's actually broken really nicely for the Hornets in terms of being a plethora of exactly what they need. And even though I don't like the draft talent overall, I think they do have their pick from a good set of guys. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay. Uh, over to you. Next question. All right. Second question. What do you make of the strong, like non-NCAA players that played outside of college basketball presence in this class, but the lack of like Euro league and European talent, like there are tons of players from ignite uh, overtime elite, obviously at the top of the draft, especially, but even littered throughout the lottery and the rest of the first round, uh, the NBL as well from Australia and New Zealand. Do you think that's like more of a coincidence or just a sign of things to come that like these other avenues uh, for, you know, becoming a professional basketball player other than playing in college or going overseas uh, to play in the EuroLeague or China or w- whatnot uh, is b- like a sign of things to come in the future? Well, firstly, speaking just selfishly, it makes it a lot harder to analyze the draft <laughs> because... <laughs> All of a sudden, you're not just watching college, right? You've got to track the NBL. You've got to track G League Ignite. You've got to track, um, you know, Europe still because there are still some guys out there. Um, you've got to track Overtime Elite. 
uh, you mean you're freaking paying so much for these subscriptions now to just try and watch these guys. Um, so I, I, and I do think like making those comparisons, like how do you compare the per 36 numbers of Amen and Asar Thompson with City Sissoko with the G League compared to, you know, Grady Dick in the NCAA and Ryan Repair in the NBL? How do you do that? It's, you can throw statistical comparisons almost out the window. Um, so I do think you have to really rely, again, on probably like the eye test more than ever, which is why it's important that you guys read and listen to people who are watching these guys, such as ourselves. Um, I do think it will become the norm going forward. I don't think we're going to go... I don't think this is like a, a one-off year. I think it'll be more and more likely like this. And the reason is, you know, money, money, money. Like at NBL are increasing the amount they're giving to, you know, prospects, Ignite, um, you know, the G League Ignite, the rules just come out today about the new CBA where previously you signed with the G League Ignite, you had to turn pro the year after. So guys like, um, uh, oh God, who's the big for G League Ignite last year um, who ended up not going drafted? Um, I'm completely mind blocked. Uh, oh, I'm going to come back Michael to Michael Foster? Yes, Michael Foster. Yeah, guys okay, like Michael yeah. Foster, he had to turn pro after one year. He couldn't yeah. re- return back. That will be changing now. So you can join G League Ignite. And if you're not ready after year one, that's fine. You don't have to declare mm-hmm. for the draft. So these rules are changing to make it more flexible. And I do think you, you mentioned about the lack of Euro talent. And I don't actually think there is a lack of Euro talent. It's just coming to the US earlier. So, you know, guys are coming into college basketball. You look at Tubelis, Arizona, and, you know, other guys out there. You've got Guys like City Sissoko going to the G League Ignite. You had Dyson Daniels last year. You've got now the New Zealand Breakers with Ryan Repair. So guys I don't think are playing in Europe as much as young players. They are, you know, going to overtime. Even got like Alex Saar in overtime elite, who's a prospect for next year. They're going to Ignite. They're going to the, uh, the NBL. There's just a lot of like different pathways now and it's becoming more mixed and varied. And there's, I think there's more choice for players. So I think it's, it's a good thing. Um, but I, I still think, I mean, you look at the MVP candidates this year, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, U- European guys. Like they are still some of the best players in the league. So I'm, I'm not worried about the talent level at all, really. I just think it's more fragmented maybe than it used to be. And there's, you know, the famous like Treviso Euro camp where like it was your first time to see these European mystery men and you saw Pozingis and Bismarck Biombo for the first time all year. That just doesn't happen anymore because there are better pathways and scouts are seeing these guys earlier and earlier. So they're not the mysteries that they once were. Yeah, the at uh, the, the avenues that have been opened up for players recently, like Ignite and Overtime and the NBL's next stars program are much more conducive for, I think like NBA player development as well, like European domestic teams and like your especially like high level Euro league teams yeah. that are like competing for championships. They're not trying to, you know, feed minutes to some 18, 19, 20 year olds no so that they can look good for NBA teams. Luka Doncic was the exception. Like he like was absolutely smoking people in the Euro league as a teenager that like never ever ever happens like so that i would be very surprised if there's a, you know if there's another luca that's one thing and he, if they rise through the ranks of the euro league because they are really just that good at basketball but you know if for the you know the average prospect that isn't like a one of the best players on earth at any given time 
will probably have a much easier time like showcasing their talents with Ignite or Overtime or in the NBL or even just like going to college, like you said, like someone like Azulis Tabellis or like Henri Visar, who, you know, Tabellis' backup, who next is from Estonia. Next year, he could be like a very high draft pick, like maybe a first round pick just going to college for two years instead of playing, you know, in Europe somewhere or going to the NBL or whatnot. But yeah, the, the, it's it's definitely a good thing for players to have all these options. It's, it's Obviously, the the original argument against all these things was that it was going to kill college basketball, which is not happening in any way. So but the more options, the merrier. Give everybody, you know, the, the choices that they want to make. Absolutely. Okay, on to my, let's go on to my third and final question. Um, how many picks do you think Charlotte will end up using in the draft this year? This was hard to pin down. I think mm. three would be my exact guess, but I'd feel much comfortable, more comfortable being like, oh, somewhere between two and four, because <laughs> the obviously they're going to use the lottery pick, barring some sort of like blockbuster trade, which, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either way what happens with 27 after that. Like I, like, I have no, no gauge on whether or not that pick's going to be traded. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like something that comes down to like when they're on the clock, they're like, we have X amount of deals in place. If you know, it's this group of players, if any of them are available, we'll pick them. If not, we'll take these one of these deals. Uh, and then I would imagine they'll use one or two second round picks on two way players. The only problem though, those earlier ones might be a little bit difficult to use on two ways. Like those are too high in the second round to mm. draft a two way player theoretically but the my like one caveat to that while i was thinking about it is will the new cba rule where there are three two-way contracts allowed change that and will the second round essentially become like a two-way round and then like it's just like a couple of players at the top of like basically picks like 31 through 35 that are getting the like cody martin Devonte graham nick Richards style like guaranteed contracts for second rounders uh, and also, there are just too few roster spots for the Hornets to use all their picks, which we've mentioned many times on on the show. But uh, the the two the extra two way slot really interests me, and like I think that that came at a good time, honestly, with how many second round picks that they have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we don't know all the details behind some of the, you know, the third two way slot, but I mean, right now the current two way players are Teo Maladon and Xavier Sneed. That's how they ended on the year. They will both be, I believe, restricted two-way free agents, essentially the summer. I think Teo, they would probably like, like to have back as one of the three. That's if he weren't to earn a full NBA contract elsewhere. Xavier Sneed, I, I think that was more of a reward for being a good soldier over the last couple of seasons in Charlotte. I don't think they... I think they would very quickly, you know, look to sign him to an exhibit 10, put him back in Greensboro and, and look for a, a more exciting prospect to the two-way slot. And like you said, they've potentially got that third slot as well. So I I had three down as well, but I don't, I, I just think they'll only use one first round pick. Yeah, and I would, this, that, I, that it's that you would think that though, but so many teams have already traded that late first round pick that it makes me think like, who's going to be trying to get back into it? Like, it's going to be a team that has already traded that pick away. You know what I mean? Like that was what kind of yeah made me think about it a little bit. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's so hard to predict either way with that pick. I, it I, is. I had no no 
way to call it. I just think they would probably... I, I'm putting myself in Mitch Kupchak's shoes and, you know, you look at the, the depth of the roster, which we're projecting to have, presuming, you know, depending on Dennis Smith Jr. and Kelly Oubre. Um, I just think having another guaranteed rookie, he talked about he wants his team to be deeper next year and to be adding two more first-round picks onto a 50-man roster. That doesn't necessarily help that for the team, especially for a team that's going to be missing Miles Bridges for the first 10 games, and he's probably going to miss Gordon Hayward and Lamella Ball at some point with, with injuries. We've seen that. Um, and I hate it because, you know, me and you, we love the draft. We see the value of guys being drafted late in the first round and what they can turn into. You've got, you know, Desmond Bain for playing for Memphis right now. Um, I, I, I wouldn't like it, but I could understand if they flipped that into a future asset that they could, you know, it could be combined into a trade at a later point uh, and be a key part of a potential future trade. I, I would understand why they decide to do that. So I also have three down as well. I think they're, they're first, top four, well, top six picks, shouldn't say top four, that's not guaranteed, and a, a couple of second round picks. Um, my only other wondering was like with that first round pack, pick uh, late in the first round that you, you went for someone like Bilal Koulibaly or James Naji, which are like a, or like a Ryan Rupair if he dropped, who are kind of international players who you'd probably stash overseas or, um, you know, they could play in the NBL next year or something of that nature who like those guys probably aren't ready for NBA minutes yet, but are probably too good for two-way spots. Maybe maybe James Nashi isn't, but at least the, the first two. Um, so that's mainly the, the classic draft and stash from which which feels like an old school thing now. It feels very mid two thousands draft and stash. But um, the Kulboka move, let's call it the Arnoldus Kulboka move. That could be a, another potential option. But I think they'd have to really believe in someone to do that because. You know, you could flip that probably into another late first in a future year from a from a team if if someone dropped to another team really wants. Um, but yeah, I've I've also gone for three. Um, I think that makes sense. Hey, shout out to Arnaldus Kolboka, man. I actually still follow him on Instagram, and I literally thought about it today because I saw his story and was like, I forgot that I follow him on Instagram. And I also forgot that he played for the Hornets, but you really don't see that anymore or not as often anyway, that of players getting picked in like the forties and fifties and going and playing in Europe for a couple of years and then coming back, yeah. I guess Ishmael Kamagate. Um, yeah. Luke Juhon. Travers for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. Uh, look at us dropping, look at us dropping knowledge off the top of our heads right here. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is why you listen to this draft shift content. I'm just saying this exactly. is, we did not present, we did not prepare for Ismail Kamagate and Luke Travers. I can promise the listeners nope. that. Hey, you could uh, you can also throw in arguably the most fun basketball name to ever say of all time, which is uh, Celtics draft and stash player Juhan Begaron, who is in uh, playing for Paris basketball right now. So there, we we, we need to get that back. I think we should become the the vocal proponents of European draft and stash players again in this in this day and age. Stash them in London. That's yeah, the there we go. Watch. Perfect. Stash, stash them in the in the British Basketball League. This is o now. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Maybe just invested in the uh, in a BBL franchise in London, the London Lions. First NBA player to invest in a British basketball team. There you go. Head, we're, on, head first. we're on the up and up. So there we go. Okay. Um, before I hand over to your last question, I just want to touch on one thing. Actually, we, we talked about strengths and weaknesses of this draft as a whole, and there's a there's a point I missed, which I've been desperate to make for ages. So I'm just going to circle back completely randomly. 
a weakness is the unknowns in this draft. There are so many players who played the season with injuries and how that impacted their stock. Ah, that is very true. Having, you know, breaking your, your wrist, being out for six weeks and coming back, that's one thing. And I'm going to list the players now. Keontae George played through an ankle sprain. Anthony Black played through double ankle sprains, as did Jet Howard playing through double ankle sprains. Cam Whitmore had a right thumb and an eye injury during the season. Cason Wallace suffered from back spasms. Ryan Repair did have a wrist fracture, which is a more of a simple one. Nick Smith dealt with right knee soreness all year. Derek Whitehead had right foot soreness and dealt with a fracture. Terrence Shannon had concussion. Those are all kind of like lottery first, late first, kind of early second round picks, who, if you look at the numbers, you can make excuses up for all of those guys saying, well, yeah, like we didn't see the best of them. But that's like a third of the first round, Chase. So that I think that is a weakness as a whole is like just looking at the numbers. Like if you look at the splits pre and post Jet Howard's ankle injuries, it's like a different player. And you know, Casey Wallace was not playing in some games and then would play the next day. He wasn't 100%. So that is one of the big weaknesses. It's been, you know, you having to, to do some mental gymnastics while watching these guys going, well, what would they look like if they were fully healthy? So that's another weakness that I just felt was really important that we touch on, that people need to be aware when they just look at the, you know, you just look at the season averages for these guys. That does not tell the whole story. All right. My last question have, or in the past or are the playoffs currently influencing your draft philosophy in any way they make you think about, you know, NBA translating translation of certain players in a, in new ways, or make you think of like the type of players that you want to draft for a successful playoff team. Does that change at all when you watch the, the playoffs? Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, normally later on, I think like, we're obviously recording this. We just had some game twos um, and a lot of game ones. But I definitely think uh, once you get into like conference finals, NBA finals, and you, you've you seen the teams, the players who have success, uh, that definitely is something that skews things. You know, there was a period where bigs were getting played off the floor and bigs dropped to the draft. But like even watching the the Kings-Warriors game of the night, Devian Mitchell, my guy, I had, you know, I, you know, I was a big David Mitchell believer. I remember, I think you had Jared Butler ahead of David Mitchell. I did have Jared I, Butler I, over David. I just thought I'd bring that one up just for people. I'm not just gonna, for fun. Yeah, yeah just, just for, for fun. fun. Yeah. I thought I'd bring that one up. <laughs> yeah, right, um, right. Uh, you know, watching David Mitchell chase around Steph Curry, like it makes you think, wow, Casey Wallace, he could really have a role in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, watching Malik Monk play really well for the Kings, you go, hmm, Keontae George, he's kind of wild, but he has some of the same like downhill traits and shot making traits and. Josh Giddy played really well for Oklahoma City Thunder. You can see some Anthony Black in him, I think, with like the size and passing and, and ability, you know, shaky jumper, but ability to get score inside. So you, you can definitely draw lines where there's been success. Uh, but those are like very just faint dotted lines at the minute. And I'm I'm waiting for the playoffs to to kind of evolve a little bit more. And we'll probably have some stronger takeaways in terms of, well, you you know, you can't play guys under 6'5". You know, that might be very apparent by the time we get to the conference finals and and that could skew how we look at things. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm early in my process for that. How about you? Yeah, no, I'm the same way. My probably biggest takeaway in the last couple years of, of playoffs really is if you look at any big good team 
like and this is not like some groundbreaking revelation this is not like an original thought but every single good team has three or four six seven six eight wings that can create their own shot are you know adept playmakers and can defend both on and off ball at multiple positions like Milwaukee has multiple players like that. And obviously they have Giannis who is just like a supersized version of that and is like one of the best players in the world. Uh, the Celtics are revolve around two, six, eight wings that are like some of the best shot creators and scorers and team defenders in the game. Uh, the, the Phoenix Suns have Devin Booker and now Kevin Durant. So they're going to be a team like Boston who revolves around having two elite shot creators with like really good size it's just like everywhere through the league, like there are obviously some deviations, like the Nuggets don't really play in that way. They obviously revolve around Jokic, a guard, and then some like bigger forward types in MPJ and Aaron Gordon. But you could also just kind of argue that like MPJ and Aaron Gordon are just, you know, more defensively inclined versions of those, you know, bigger wing players, but or not, not MPJ, but MP, but Aaron Gordon anyway. But they, it's it just the way that the, basketball is played like later on in the year you just need to be not you basically need to be bigger than your opponent like people have kind of lost that I guess in the last couple years with like the prevalence of playing like undersized fives and like smaller lineups in general but it's not necessarily like smaller it's just like players just need to be more skilled and if you can trot out a lineup of you know two guards that are six five two wings that are six eight six nine and then a big that's seven feet and all of those players are athletic and they can all score on their own in some way and they can be connected pieces shoot. in the offense and they can space the floor. You're not going to lose. Seeds in either conference right now, they, they just don't play in the starting units. They don't have, they have one non shooter. That is yes. on the court anytime. Like it'll be Rob Williams for the Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, actually, pretty much everyone can shoot. Um, it's really honestly, it's just Giannis, and Giannis isn't even like if you yeah. just left him wide open repeatedly, Giannis you would not anyone. feel good about that. Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah, everyone has to be able to shoot the ball. It's simple. Philadelphia got PJ Tucker. Um, yeah, that's the key thing. Everyone has to be able to stretch the floor, and the amount of times that you looked, and it was like Dennis Smith Jr., Nick Richards. JT Thor and you're like well like these you know we've got three guys who can't shoot on the floor right now how how is it how no surprise our offense is terrible um so it's yeah size skill shooting these are very obvious things one of the reasons I'm pretty high in Jet Howard 6'8 fantastic shooter extremely skilled has a lot of defensive warts that's for sure a little bit of a one-trick pony but he can do some of those things and to, uh, that is, I was just going to ask you if there's anybody on your board that you think is higher as a result of this type of philosophy. And you, you answered it without me even having to ask. So that, that is, that's what I call podcast synergy right there. That is like, that's textbook stuff. But I think uh, uh, Max, Maxwell Lewis might be that guy for me. But I, mm-hmm. I Jet Howard, I also like still. I mean, so many players, like all, any type of like six, eight, like shooter creator type in this class, like by virtue of, Though having those skills, I think, is going to be a pretty highly ranked player. So something really interesting, I've been doing a little bit of a project looking at the, uh, just looking at shooting between the wings. We, we mentioned earlier the kind of inconsistency. Really, Maxwell Lewis, 
So like I think he shot like 35% or so this year, and he really dropped off in the, the second half of the season. But his assist rate on his uh, three-point attempts was 56%. So he only got assisted on 56% of three-point attempts. I just want to read through some of the other shooting uh, yeah. wings here. Grady Dick, 80%. Jordan Hawkins, 90%. Jet Howard, 77%. Bryce Sensabar, Julian Strawth, and Derek Whitehead, all between 82 and 85%. Chris Murray, 91%. Like Maxwell Lewis was having to self-create absolutely everything. And it's impressive that he was even able to get to that percentage. So, like, this is where you really need to have some understanding here of, of how these guys generate the shots. Now, I can hear you saying, well, the good news is for those other guys that they're going to be assisted in the NBA because they're not going to be primary guys. They're probably going to be more complimentary pieces. And that is true. But you mean, you, you have to see like, if you're able to create those self, those, you know, self-created looks, that's going to give you a, another weapon, another outlet for your star player, another possession where they don't have to create. That's something to, to keep in mind and just think how good Maxwell Lewis could be if he wasn't having to create at all, he could be up near 40%. And even to that degree, those skills translate, even if you're not creating shots like in the traditional version of like off the dribble from three. Think of somebody like Isaiah Joe or Sam Hauser. Perfect. Sam Hauser. Perfect example. He takes threes that, you know, require the same type of footwork that you'd use in a step back or a sidestep. Uh, that you, you, Max Lewis is creating these shots for himself off the dribble all the time, but he just doesn't really have to dribble the ball. It just comes with one dribble off of a handoff to like set himself pretty much, or he takes one dribble to get, you know, sidestep the closeout and then he takes a shot. You don't have to be somebody that like has the ball in your hands all the time to like be a, not necessarily a shot creator, but somebody that can at least put yourself in advantageous positions in when someone closes out on you. Cause if you're a good shooter, people are going to close out on you. You can't just rely on, you know, shooting over a contest or having the perfect form and focus uh, all the time in the NBA because that size gets very overwhelming. And that's why I haven't quite been able to get on board with like the people that have Jordan Hawkins, like in the lottery. I love shooters and I think he's going to be a very good player in the NBA. I just don't think he does really anything more than like spot up shooting and like off shoot screen shooting for pin downs, like movement shooting, stuff like that probably the best out of in the class, but yep. when it comes to, you know, space creation, which is an important part of shooting as well, even if you're not, you know, an on ball player, he, he is a little bit lacking in, in that regard compared to guys like Jed Howard or Maxwell Lewis, or uh, like even at the top of the draft, like Cam Whitmore or some, or a sore Thompson, like all these guys that have, you know, great athleticism that comes with the skills that require being a good shooter. So with, with Jordan Hawkins, like his, one elite, elite skill is running around a gabillion screens. And I know that isn't a word, but I just made it. It is now. It, it is, is now. Word, a gabillion. Um, and, and basically just running the defense and getting an open look. And if they overplay him, being able to like take that one, two dribble and get to, you know, the mid range spot. Um, and I was thinking like, who is the best guy in the NBA at that? You know, where that is your sole skill who is the best guy? And I thought it's Duncan Robinson for the Miami Heat, like six, seven runs around everywhere. And like Duncan Robinson, he had a good 
couple of years, but like basically is on the bench now for the Miami Heat, not in the rotation. Might be now with a Tyler Hero injury, but he hasn't been for large portions of the season. And then it made me think, well, like if that's the best guy in the entire league at it, and he's not even in the rotation. Yep. That, that exactly. Could at the same time, and then I thought, but what about Clay Thompson? <laughs> who another is, exactly that is true. Who, <laughs> was doing the exact same things. And Clay was a much like an exceptionally good defender at the time. He had, you know, probably some more like ISO isolation ability. So, but it's hard because you think, well, those are their elite skills, but the, the caliber of player there between Duncan Robinson and Clay Thompson is, you know, vastly different. Now, I, I don't think you can compare many people to Clay Thompson. He is probably like one of one in terms of what he was able to do with his career. But, it's those are kind of the things that go around in your head when you're trying to analyze the draft and, and make sense of these things. Okay. That's going to pretty much do it for our first episode. Uh, before we go, what I'm going to do is the Charlotte Hornets uh, mock draft on the ESPN. Uh, I'm going to share with you the picks for number four, number 34, number 37, number 39, and what, 42. I don't even know how many picks they've got in this thing. But there's basically five picks I'm going to share with you, and I want you to give me a grade just off the top of your head. I've not prepped you for this. I was going to okay. say, is this like brand new? I had no idea they even had one. They, uh, they've just got a mock draft. No, this is just a oh, mock draft okay, that came okay. out last week or so. But okay, yeah, I, mean, I, I to, still haven't looked at it either way. So If I was to tell you, right, that the Charlotte Hornets came out with Amen Thompson at number four, Gigi Jackson at 27, to Quavon Smith at 34, Keontae Johnson at 39, and then Ricky Council at 42. And I know they're not keeping all them, but if I was, what grade are you giving the Charlotte Hornets for draft night? I mean, that would be like a solid, like A, A minus. Like that oh, would you be- like it. Oh, that'd be a haul. I have all of those players inside my top, 37 so that would be quite a coup uh for for your boy here if they were able to pull off. obviously too many players to even fit on the roster but that would be that'd be that'd be a good one to pull off i think uh if they got all, any even any of collection of like three or four of those guys would be very good for me and the reason i'm really excited by that is that means that you're a ricky council believer and, I am. I am. And I have, I have Ricky in my first round. And I think I'm. Ah, gonna, I like that. I like I'm that. I'm not quite there, but I like that. I'm a lone wolf. Um, I don't see many others. I see him going undrafted at times. And I, I like Ricky Council. So I, that's a good Me one too. that we can we can talk about. Maybe a sleeper, a sleeper candidate in a, in a future episode, which we'll, we'll definitely touch on. Um, okay. I think that's anything else, anything draft related, anything else you want to get off your chest here before we, uh, before we finish things up? Uh, I was just looking up some, some fun stats and I got another quick one for you before we wrap it up. So you were talking about Max Lewis's assisted three point jumpers. Yeah. He shot 34% on barely over 50% of them being assisted. Very good number for a wing. Uh, do you want to know a player that has even fewer uh, per, uh, even lower percentage of his three-point jumpers being assisted and shot a nearly identical percentage, only a half of a percentage worse? Ooh, this is a good question. Um, what about Gigi Jackson? Ooh, that I, that's close. I, or not necessarily close in terms of who they are, but... Okay. The... Uh, Brandon Posmi- Posminski? 
No, H- higher, higher in the draft range. Higher in the draft. Okay, this is my last guess, and then I am gonna, I'm gonna concede here, concede defeat. Uh, let's go, Keonti George. It's Cam Whitmore. Oh, probably Cam my, Whitmore. probably. I think he might be my one of my favorite players in the drafts. It is, it is. No, the, you're better the than this. Extremely case. powerful six seven wing Cam Whitmore. I've got him in the top four. I would. So what was his assist rate? Sorry, uh, on the, oh, on oh, so I'm sorry. His assist rate was 54.1. Uh, Maxwell Lewis's okay. was 56. So his was actually even lower than, than Maxwell Lewis, and they he shot 34.3 percent from three. Maxwell Lewis Impressive. was 34.8. So yeah, pretty good. A lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of wing shot creators in this class. It's a pretty fun, good. it's a fun skill to watch on on tape as well. There are a ton of players that I like really, really enjoy watching in this class. Yeah. And I think on our next episode, we're gonna we're gonna hit the big ones at the top, right? We're gonna be jumping in Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller. Uh, before lottery night comes, we want to make sure we got our thoughts out there on the podcast on some of those key guys. So we'll be touching on them in the next couple of weeks. Um, make sure you drop if you've got any requests for what you want to hear on the draft show this year. We're, we're planning them now, so make sure to just drop us a message on Twitter. Uh, but if not, Chase, it was fun getting our draft show started here. Um, I think a really good intro to the draft to the fans of the Charlotte Hornets. And I look forward to, to talk more draft talk with you next time. Me too, my friend. It's draft season.